Hello, and welcome to the first episode of My Circus, My Monkeys. Today's episode is entitled Supervisor SOS. I'm sure in these days of COVID-19, where everybody's bunkered down at home, one of your main concerns as a supervisor is how is my staff doing? How stressed are they? Are they getting close to burnout? How's their work-life balance? How are they doing mentally, emotionally, and physically? Interestingly enough, Gallup has found that managers report more stress and burnout worse work-life balance, and worse physical well-being than the people on their teams. If that resonates with you and you feel exhausted from bearing that load, or if you believe you need to do everything yourself, then keep listening. You're listening to My Circus, My Monkeys, the podcast for supervisors in education or any field that emphasizes growth and development. If you want to reign in the chaos and transform your team to better serve your students and clients, keep listening. This podcast explores essential information on supervision, employee engagement, and using a strengths-based framework to empower you and your team. We'll examine the latest research in psychology, neuroscience, education, and beyond to help you and your team get to the next level with your host, Ann Brackett the Chief Engagement Officer of Strengths University. So I'm recording this first episode during the end stages of the beginning stages of the COVID-19 self-isolation phase. This is middle of May. So we just got out of our, our stay-home order in the St. Louis area. I don't know where you are, but if you're a supervisor, you're probably pretty exhausted because you've been working from home, working remotely, trying to keep everything together, trying to make sure your team's okay. It's just kind of a hot mess. That being said, I don't think that this pandemic, they brought, it brought some new logistical issues, but I think really what it did was exacerbated issues that were already happening. I'm a big Brene Brown fan, and she said in her book, Rising Strong, we don't have to do all of it alone. We were never meant to. I think that's particularly poignant for supervisors these days because we feel like we have a lot on our shoulders. We're worried about our staff. Are they okay? How are they doing? And we also want to prove to our supervisors that we can handle the load. So what that means is that we typically take more things on, but we don't ask for help. We don't try and get the support of the people above us because we're trying to be a team player. We're trying to support those students. We're trying to support our team. We're not worried about taking care of ourselves because we're, quote, fine, unquote. And I hate the F word. I really do. Um, If you know me, you might be saying, oh, that's not true. You love the F word. You drop it all the time. But I'm talking about fine. And I know typically, oh, how are you? I'm fine. It's just, you know, most people aren't sticking around for the answer anyway. But often when I actually ask somebody, how are you? And they say fine. It's because I really want to know. And fine to me means well, I probably won't die today. I probably, you know, I'm going to stick it out. I don't know that there's anything you could do for me because I'm kind of overwhelmed, but it's fine. Don't worry. Life will probably go on. I think as supervisors, we don't really understand how overwhelmed we are. Obviously, this semester turned out way different than anyone expected. I teach a speech class at Maryville University After a week or two of technical glitches and issues with changing to the Zoom format, 
I kind of rewrote the rest of the semester because I wanted to do something that helped my students definitely learn more about speech, but also adjust to the new life that they were living when they're home instead of, you know, with their school chums. School chums? Do we say that? Yes, they're school chums in Eton. So one of the things I did was I revamped a different worksheet that we had used for speech and asked students to think about from their strengths perspective. I'm a Gallup certified strengths coach. So I'd already taught my class about their top five, what that means, how to apply it to their life. If you haven't taken the Clifton Strengths assessment, you that's fine. You certainly don't have to. We will be talking about it frequently throughout this podcast, but I will do my best to throw in explanations when I bring up a term from that assessment. If you haven't taken it, I do recommend it. It's not very expensive. I, I don't get any money from you taking the assessment, but I, I think it's a really helpful shortcut to better understanding ourselves. Okay, so back to the class. I asked the class to think about how they're adapting to the COVID-19 land based on what their top five were. So how were they helping them adapt? And how were they maybe getting in their way? Because, and we'll talk about this in other episodes, what's interesting about our talents, aka strengths, is that while they can be awesome, they can also be our biggest challenge. So sometimes your talents actually work as weaknesses. So my task to the students was think about how your talents are helping you adapt to this new environment and how they might be getting in your way. So when we stopped and talked about it as class, like what did you think of the assignment? Did it help you? That sort of thing. I was surprised to find out that most of them said they didn't really understand until they did that how overwhelmed and how stressed they were And several of them mentioned, I realized I was absolutely not taking care of myself. And I think the same thing goes for supervisors. We are trying so hard to keep it together for our students, for our staff, for our clients, depending on what field you're in. And, you know, for the the institution itself, that we're fine. We're fine. We're just keeping it together to get through it. I had a similar experience at my last institution I could tell that the environment was not great and potentially becoming not greater. And it slowly started affecting me. And at one point, I'm like, okay, I think I'm gaining weight. I think, I think this place is making me fat. And I don't like to use the F word. Oh, this is another F word. But I realized at a certain point, okay, this is impacting my health. This is impacting my overall well-being. I knew... When my New Year's resolutions, and I I normally don't make, I generally don't make New Year's resolutions, but my New Year's resolution was to do something every day to keep my soul from dying. And I'm like, okay, that's bad. So I knew at that point I needed to make a change. And I decided that I wanted to get off campus and really work on Strengths University and develop this business. So naively, I thought, cool, once I move out, once I start working on this business, once I'm no longer in that environment, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to drop all the pounds. I'm going to like, whoo, sigh of relief. All the health things are going to resolve themselves. Just, I'm going to feel so much better. Well, when I left, I was surprised to find out that that's not at all what happened because I was so busy holding myself in that fight or flight reaction for years, I would say, that when I got out of that environment, everything kind of fell apart. And it took me several months, if not years, like I've been gone now two and a half years, I I would say at least a year and a half to really kind of process all of that out. 
And, and again, my point is that we don't always understand how these things are impacting us because we are in that survival mode and we're focused on getting these things done, helping these people, making sure the system doesn't fail, that we forget about ourselves and that we are an integral part of this system and that if we fail, if we fall apart, the rest isn't going to work fully without us. So I want to kind of talk about why supervisors feel like they can't ask for help or or slash and why they feel like they need to do so much themselves. In the book, Strengths-Based Leadership, they talk about the myth of the well-rounded leader. Basically, what this is, is when you become a leader, when you become a supervisor, you think slash assume it's expected, you should be good at everything. And this could be particularly true if you've been promoted and are now supervising people that you used to work with, because you kind of feel like you need to prove, okay, I definitely deserve this. Why? Because I'm so awesome at everything, right, guys? You didn't know it before because I wasn't supervisor, but look at me now. I'm shining like the sun. The problem with that is that people in general are not good at everything. And the fact that you're now a supervisor doesn't change that. That's where a lot of people have problems because they become a supervisor and they think, I should know how to do X. I should be good at Y. There's no reason why you should suddenly be good at all of those things. You weren't good at those things before. You're not going to be good at them now. And I don't mean that disparagingly. We're all like that. And I think there's a myth in Western society in general that you should be well-rounded. Michelangelo, oh my gosh, he invented the helicopter and he was a good painter. And I assume he did slam poetry on the side. He was just great at everything. Now, I don't really know what Michelangelo's deal was. We are not him. And again, I don't mean that negatively. I mean that he, well, actually, let's think about this. I would say he had ideation in strength speak. That means you're really good at creativity coming up with great ideas, connecting a lot of things that other people don't connect. I would say that was his strength. He just happened to work in an area where he could explore all of those things. Like he was in a strength zone all the time. And our challenge as supervisors, as leaders, is to find our strength zone and stay in it. If Michelangelo had been a priest or a policeman, I don't think we would have heard about him. He just happened to really figure out what he was good at and stay in his lane. And that is the challenge for us because we think we need to be in everybody's lane, especially if you're the supervisor, because, well, I'm responsible for all these people and all these things, so I need to be all over. And that's kind of where the micromanager thing comes from because I'm responsible, so I need to be all up in everybody's, I'm going to say business. Don't know if I mean it quite that way. Like I have to be on top of everybody to make sure everything comes out perfectly because I'm not really sure what I'm doing. And the best way to ensure my success is to try to control everything. We'll talk about control in another episode. But back to why supervisors feel like they can't ask for help. If you think you need to be good at everything, you're going to be exhausted. And you're going to do things like, I need to be better at blank. Who's good at blank? Bob's good at blank. I'm going to do what Bob does, so I'm good at blank. But that doesn't work if you don't have the same talent set as Bob. But you get caught in that loop because, again, the story that you tell yourself is that you should be good at everything. But you don't have to be good at everything. That's why you have a team. Very, very quickly, part of the strengths philosophy is that you should focus on the things you do best and have a well-rounded team. So that's really, as we get more into this podcast, you'll see how depending on and really maximizing your team, and that includes your supervisor, the, the other people that you work with, the other colleagues that you have, 
it's really, really important to remember you don't have to be well-rounded, but your team needs to be. So another reason I think that supervisors don't ask for help is that you know how busy you are and you at least think you know how busy your team is. I think sometimes we forget, and especially when, okay, now we need to do this from up above. Okay, I just need to ask my team to do it. I think we can easily forget because we're so in our lane with what we have to do. We forget that. But over, overall, we know everybody's busy. So if that new thing comes down the pipeline and we think, you know what, I can just do that and they don't have to worry about it, we think we're doing a service to our team. We could be if that thing falls within our strength zone. Like you're talented in that area and it would not take you long to do it. You would do it effectively. You would do it well. It would be the best use of everyone's time. In that case, great, go for it. But mostly we don't assess that and we just do it so other people don't have to. The problem is that's not necessarily a good use of your resources or their resources, the resources in general. Because if someone else on your team could do that thing better, faster, and with less effort, It makes more sense for them to do it, even if you feel weird giving it to them because they're already so busy. Now, we'll talk about delegation in other episodes, but when you give someone something to do, it doesn't mean you can't take something away. Again, when we talk about maximizing our team throughout this podcast, you can do that, like move things around so that people get the things that they are best at because A, they're going to enjoy doing it. B, it's a better use of resources because the best person for the job is doing the thing. And that typically means it's going to be done faster. So that person can get back online to do something else that they're great at more quickly than if you did it. And it takes you five hours because you're already exhausted and it's not in your wheelhouse. I also think that in education specifically, but probably other fields as well, there is this myth. I don't know if it's a myth, but If you recall from the literary world, there is the red badge of courage. It's about the Civil War and how having some sort of wound proves your bravery. Like, oh, I was wounded. I really went out there and worked for it. You're welcome, guys. And then everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you're awesome. I think there's the same thing in education, but it's not obviously what is a wound. I would say in some ways, exhaustion, perhaps definitely just being overworked. Like if you're not coming in early, if you're not staying late, if you're not working on the weekend, if you're not taking stuff home, then you don't really care, right? That's kind of the assumption. People who really care about this institution and the students and the team, they're going to go above and beyond. And above and beyond in this situation means time and energy. Now, it doesn't mean that what you're doing in that time or the energy you're putting out is actually yielding results. It's literally, I see you, quote unquote, working hard, you must really get it. You must really get these students. You must love them. You must love this institution and what you do. But just like being well-rounded, that's a myth. We tell our students this all the time. We tell them that studying 24-7 does not yield better results. Your brain doesn't work that way. You need to take regular breaks. You need to socialize. You need to do those things. And we tell our students this and we get real annoyed when they don't listen. But we never do it. We think, you know what, I'll just feel better if this thing gets done, but we're already so tired, it's going to take us twice as long, three times as long to do it, and we would be better off taking an hour nap, a walk in the park, quitting for the day, and starting again fresh tomorrow. You'd get it done way faster, but in our heads, if I just plow through and get it done, I'll feel better. And bonus, everybody will see how hard I'm working. I don't think we're necessarily conscious of all these things happening, 
but they impact us. The stories that we tell ourselves about our role as supervisor, the people around us, the students, what they need is so important. So I had a colleague and this was a relatively new position. So of course they have a job description, but everybody knows the real job description is other duties is assigned, right? Like that's really where you get all the fun stuff slash a never ending list of things that you're now in charge of. So this person would get something, bang it out. Now they have Achiever, which is getting stuff done, making the list, checking it off, boom, 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 really executing and getting work accomplished. It's not one that I have. And sometimes I am a little jelly of it because sometimes I have a list and I'd like to just knock it out. But again, I understand that that's not where my talent set lies. And I would be doing myself a disservice to try and emulate that as opposed to using the strengths that I do have to accomplish things. And again, talk about some of these things in later episodes. But back to this individual, we will call Betsy. Betsy gets this job. She's excited, does high quality work. Some committee meeting, we need a new blank. You know, it'd be great if we had this. Betsy, why don't you do it? First couple of times, fine, whatever. Because again, a new job, figuring stuff out. But then Betsy starts complaining to me, they need to stop giving me stuff. I'm already tapped out and they keep giving me more things. My comment was, why would they stop giving you things? You say fine and you execute them flawlessly. So why would they think that you can't do more? And I think we assume people understand what we're actually going through, what our day-to-day life is like, but they don't. They have a general idea, but even if they have a pretty good idea of what you're doing and that you might be getting close to tapping out, they're super busy too. So they can't be spending all their time thinking about how overworked you are. Same thing with you and your staff, of course. You try to protect them, but also don't necessarily have a realistic understanding of what their day-to-day life is. While they may be almost ready to tap out slash burnout, They could also have more bandwidth to do some of the things that are in their strengths wheelhouse and not in yours. And the only way to find that out is to actually have honest conversations. So overall, I want to challenge us to think about the stories that we tell ourselves about asking for help. The stories we tell ourselves about who we are as a supervisor, what that means, both internally and in conjunction with others. So for example, Betsy She had the story that a good employee just does what they're told. They do all the things without speaking up and saying, hey, FYI, I already have all these things on my plate. This is what my calendar looks like. I don't really think that I'd be able to do this either without help or without adjusting some of these expectations. She didn't think that that was okay to say. She also had a story that other people should know what's on her plate. She shouldn't have to tell them. She should know. Likewise, the story of being well-rounded, if we think that it's true, we're going to run around in circles trying to become better and better at things that aren't necessarily in our wheelhouse, that don't align with our strengths or our talents, and we're going to wear ourselves out that way, even though other people might be able to hand them more effectively. And all this to say that when things are going on in your life that aren't going as you'd like, bringing you stress... There's a small amount of stress is good, but beyond that, it's not helpful. What are the stories that you are telling yourself about your role as a supervisor that may not be correct and are therefore causing you harm? So let's switch it. How would asking for help benefit you as a supervisor? How would it benefit your staff? And how would it benefit your students or clients? How would it benefit you? You could potentially, dare I say, be less stressed and have less to do. I know that's a novel idea. But it can absolutely happen. Supervising doesn't have to be this stressful. 
but we make it that way for a variety of reasons. When we are less stressed, you know, I don't actually believe in trickle-down economics, but I do believe in trickle-down this. When you are less stressed, you make better decisions, you are more effective, you are more patient. That impacts your team because when they come to you with a problem, you are better able to manage that situation in a way that is effective, aka later you don't have to go back and redo it because it was right the first time. How many times in this field have you, oh my gosh, blankety blank blank is happening, we got to fix it, da 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 da, you have some committee meetings, and granted in education stuff takes a long time to get through, but You're reacting in a way that in a, oh my gosh, this is urgent. We have to fix it. Let's do it. But how many times has all that work gone into a solution that wasn't as effective as we thought it would be? If you can ask for help on the things that you need to do, it will open up your mind so you can better solve those problems so that you don't have to go back later and say, okay, phase one didn't work. Let's revisit it. That means more committee meetings. That means more spreadsheets. It means all sorts of things. We have a better chance of using the fantastic brain and intelligence that we have when we are less stressed. Stress, the stress reaction, the fight or flight, it scientifically makes us stupider because all of our blood and all of our resources are flowing to our arms and legs so we can run away from the thing. But unfortunately, we're not actually allowed to run out of meetings and such. They frown on that. And you can see how that would benefit your team and students. When you're more patient, when a problem comes up between two team members, you can sit down and talk it out without those visceral reactions. You can communicate better because you can step back from the situation without having it be like another, oh my God, this is another thing I have to fight or flight about. I don't even have any energy left. And and even though on the outside it might look, you've got it together, you know what's happening internally. You know it's just more stress and your ability to navigate those situations become less and less the more stressed you are. Same thing with students when they come in and they have this issue, whether it be behavioral or they're failing or they're suicidal. Yeah, absolutely. You're trying your best to give them your full attention and to help them the best you can. But the more stressed you are, the more you have to deal with all that stuff on your plate, the less likely you're you're really able to give them your full attention. Because if you're worried about 12 things and a student comes in and needs help, As much as you're trying to put all that aside, it's swirling around in the background of your brain. And even sometimes as you're talking to them, you can like it'll come up like you're and you're like, oh, my God, I didn't even listen to the last thing that person said. And that's because we are so stressed. And the only way to become less stressed is to start asking for it. Well, it's not the only way. And an effective way to become less stressed is to ask for help, which means going back in and reevaluating that story that you have And just like our talents, you have a very individually crafted story about why you haven't been asking for help. Look at it, really assess it and break it down and question it. Because we get our stories based on a very small amount of data and there's a vast, vast world. Most likely, whatever story you've been telling yourself is not actually true. It's just something you happen to believe for X, Y, Z reason. So overall, my point is, Asking for help isn't the selfish thing that, oh, it just means that I'm not good at my job and I can't do it. And the only way I can do my job is to depend on others. Yeah, exactly. That's what Brene said. You are never supposed to do it alone. Ask for help. Do it. Do it now. In fact, that is your homework for this week, is to ask for help. And if you're shitty at asking for help, which many people are, start small. Start with thinking about your story. Why do I believe 
I have to do everything. Why do I believe I can't ask for help? And when you start to kind of figure out that, ask for something really, really stupid. And I don't mean stupid. Ask for a small thing for help on because we often think, oh, I need to change. It needs to be big to count. No, you need to get yourself in the habit of doing the thing that you never did before. And it feels weird. It's definitely out of your comfort zone. So ask for something small. Like, can you call this one student? Something that would take another person like two minutes? Ask for small things because really what you're doing is helping train yourself to get into the habit of asking for help. Because again, this help is not just going to impact you positively. It's going to impact everyone that you want to help. Your team, your organization, your students. All of them will be helped if you ask for help, even though that seems weird. But just do it. Okay, cool. In our next episode, we're going to talk more in depth about talents. I definitely sprinkled some in this time, but we're going to get into really what that means for you and your life. So until then, remember to ask for help and to stay strong. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links as well as other episodes on our website www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. As always, Alicia and I are here to support you as you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. One great way to invest in yourself and your team is to join us for the summer cohort of the Supervisor Strengths Institute. We are revamping the Institute this summer to make it even more manageable for your busy schedule. It is the same great content, but we've condensed it so you can work through each week's modules and start implementing change even faster. We know that life can too easily get in the way of you staying on track, so we've also added a bonus for everyone who completes all eight weeks of learning. You will get an additional 60 minutes of our time, and you can use that for more individual coaching, a short team session, or to receive a discount on a longer team workshop. Our Summer Institute starts on May 28th. Go ahead and register now check it off your list. We want you, your team, and your students to shine their brightest. And that starts with you. So join us for the Summer Institute using the link in the show notes. Or if you have questions about the Institute or other services, contact us at Anne, and that's A-N-N-E, at strengthsuniversity.org. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links as well as other episodes on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.